Welcome to a new episode of Sunday Sauce. I know it's been a while, but uh, this one's going to be worth it. I got my friend John Tobacco here, host of Wise Guys on Newsmax on Saturday night at 10 p.m., right, John? You got that right. And Sundays yeah. at 3 o'clock. Sundays at 3 o'clock. Um, you know, John, thanks for coming on. You you know, you, uh, you were in Wall Street. You ran for politics here. You're an interesting guy. So why don't you tell me what's going on? Well, look, my real true love is Wall Street. That's where I always wanted to go from when I was a little kid. I spent 30 years on Wall Street. You know, I went through the whole Wolf of Wall Street era, um, Wild Wild West, worked at every schlock house, shop shop you could ever imagine. Um, did deals with the Wolf of Wall Street, did deals with the worst of the guys on earth. Um, but that was when I was 23, 24, 25, 26, mm -hmm. um, you know, son of a cop from Staten Island, you hit wall street within six months, you're getting handed checks for 20, $30,000 a month. It's a pretty amazing feeling. You're not really asking a lot of questions because the mm -hmm. old people leading you around are telling you, yeah, what you're doing is legal. Mm -hmm. Um, but luckily for me, you know, I escaped those days. I did, uh, get a smack over the head from the regulators where I lost my broker's license. I'm never allowed to be a stockbroker again. Um, but I turned my attention to financial technology. That's what I kind of always, since I was a kid, was like an inventor. I had erector sets and I used mm -hmm. to build things and try to come up with wacky inventions. And uh, I started figuring out, you know, way back in the 2000s where there were inefficiencies in different Wall Street transactional engines and building little nuanced pieces of technology to address that. A lot of firms are still doing doing stuff manually. Mm. I a, a company called LocateStock.com, which you know I sold in 2012. But uh, you know many of the technologies that I invented back then and patented are still in use in the biggest financial institutions in the world. Um, and then in 2015, my buddy, the CEO of Overstock.com, called me up and said, "Hey." We want Overstock to be the first company to accept Bitcoins. Um, and I was like, ah, I don't know about this. I almost right. got in trouble once for some bullshit. Um, but my Overstock brought me on. You know, he basically said, look, I think this thing is the future of transactions, money. Um, and I got a bunch of geniuses over here from Stanford and BYU. Mm. Um but you know where the deep dark secrets of Wall Street are. I need somebody with capital markets experience to come in. And uh, Patrick Byrne, the CEO of Overstock, he used to call the tech guys propeller heads. You know, that's what that was his pet name for them. He said, I need somebody to talk to the propeller heads and translate that into real world capital markets. Mm -hmm. um, so I joined and, and believe it or not, you know, I knew nothing about cryptocurrency back in 2014-15. Um, but we accomplished the goal. Overstock was the first company ever to uh, accept Bitcoin as a transaction, as a payment, which was a big development. And then uh, that I actually sold my company to Overstock.com uh, in, in 16. And I was with them through 2020. When we did, you know, many of the first things ever in cryptocurrency, the first uh, public company to do a bond on the blockchain, we, the first public company to issue a crypto dividend. Um, I raised $134 million for our subsidiary, um, all through a cryptocurrency uh, 
token offering, which one of the first of its kind approved by the regulators here in the U.S. So, you know, my business experience and my life experiences, my, my I call my real job, hmm. um, <laughs> which you make money at, not right, loot right. money, uh, right. like politics. But, you know, I figured out early, I, I was a Republican, but I wasn't really a full 100% Republican. I was, hmm. liber- I was, you know, more of a libertarian because right. on social issues, I'm like, hey, people should just do whatever they want. Leave the government alone. If you want pot, smoke pot. If you want to be gay, be gay. If you want to dress like a woman, be my guest, you know? Um, <laughs> True. I no, I'm down with that. Yeah. I always say, yeah, look, I don't we're, we're waving the rainbow flag at all times on mm-hmm. wise guys, okay? Mm-hmm. Just for those of you out there who are looking for a target to cancel. Um, but, you know, from a social standpoint, I've always felt like people should be able to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, even on the life choice issue, you know, it's one of the toughest issues I think in the world, especially for someone who's a, a Catholic and a Christian like me, you know, but I do understand that in some instances, maybe the woman should have the right to choose this if she was raped or if there was an exceptional situation where she just knows that she's not mentally sound to have a kid or something. And, and um, but on that too, I kind of come down socially liberal to, for some period of time, um, the government should leave women alone, too. It's, it's, it is, you know, their choice what they want to do. Now, once, you know, some scientific evidence ever gets agreed on by both sides when it's actually a life, mm. um, then there should be a point where you have to take responsibility for your previous actions. And the government should give a lot of options out there, like fostering, like adoption, stuff mm. like that, where... Mm. You know, we fund Planned Parenthood with taxpayer money to basically be an abortion mill. Uh, and what the government should do is take some of that money and put out their crisis, uh, crisis pregnancy centers where people can come and hear all the options available to them and, you know, start cleaning up our adoption process. In the US. You know, I know people where I go that are trying to adopt kids from, you know, the Europe and, and Asia. And this process is like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's like years in the making, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, millions of, you know, lives are aborted. Uh, maybe there's some percentage of that, that, you know, can help people here that really want that kid. So, um, but, you know, look, I found out from my wall street days that, most of these fundraisers and most of these politicians, they're like horse. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know what you're saying. Um, for sure. They, they'll, they'll give up almost anything for a big check. They'll sell their own know? mother for a big check. And a lot of these both, you know, uh, I left the Republican Party for a little while because I didn't like the way my local leadership was. I joined the Independence Party. Mm. Um, so, you know, when you're in the Independence Party and you want to go to a Democrat event, you can go, right? right? You know, no one's gonna wonder why you're there. Uh, and if you want to go to a Republican event, you can go because sure. people say, "Oh, all right, he used to be a Republican." So, you know, I built this strategy up of um, when I wanted to get close to people and know what they're really about. I would go to their one of their first fundraisers, and you know, it says uh, gold sponsor a thousand, right. uh, silver friend five hundred. Right, you know, right, and right. general admission seventy five. You know. Um, so I would write the thousand dollar check and go to some liberal Democrats, uh, campaign event 
and they would all kiss my ass because they assumed, well, he's a Republican, but he gave us a grant, you know? Um, and you start to get into, matriculate into different circles or go to Republicans, do the same thing, go to, you know, Democrat, Republican. Um, the mighty dollar is a free pass into mm-hmm. everybody's inner circle in politics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, you know, you write a couple checks or something and all of a sudden uh, you're in the inner circle because there's not a lot of people that write thousand and twenty five hundred dollar checks. So, you know, they start talking about the true strategies and, and you know, they, they, they don't think you're you know going to hurt them. But my intention was never hurt them. My intention always in politics was get more people to vote, get more ballot access for people. I think we should have 10 candidates, 12 candidates. So, and they should all have easy access. And so people can kind of really break down the different types right now. The system that they offer us is, is, uh, you know, this or that, and that's it. You know what I mean? It's like you go in the store and they say, you want uh, meat or fish. That's it. That's all we got. You know? Right. right. Um, I mean, so, um, in those circles, you know, I started to be able to gain a lot of kind of insight, information, intelligence. Um, and I ran for office in 2009. I ran out of my district just, you know, kind of as a principled run. I knew I probably couldn't win. I was outnumbered immensely, but I want to expose some issues, which I did. I was happy about it. I got smoked. Um, and then, you know, more recently, I ran for New York City Comptroller. I exposed a whole load of uh i exposed a whole load of corruption in the new york city board of elections you should watch out for all the schemery they run down there when you just when you throw your hat in the ring but um i ran for new york city comptroller and thrown off the ballot a couple times the people in new york city went out and petitioned for me a second time um and got me back on the ballot on the libertarian line very hard to win in New York City without the without the Democrat line. Forget mm-hmm. about the Republican line. So, mm-hmm. good luck to you, my friend. You got a lot of work to do in front of you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. Like you would think people would want you to run for comptroller because you have all this knowledge of you know technology and Wall Street and and this and that. But it's just that your parties don't align with them, so they just don't vote for you. It just like they don't even look at the facts that you have the education and what you've accomplished. Nah. It's just. Republican, independent, bad. It has to be Democrat in New York City. That's 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 what it is. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like even even like Curtis, when he he ran for mayor, uh, you know, I knew everyone knew Adams was gonna win. It's just, you know, unless you can duplicate Rudy Giuliani from back in the day when he ran in the 90s, then if you get somebody <laughs> like that, I feel like maybe they have a shot. But New York really has to get really, really shitty. For that to happen it can't you know right now it's not that shitty it's kind of shitty but it's getting there you know no it's very shitty mike and you know um don't forget rudy giuliani for most of his life was a democrat right so Mm -hmm. even though you know even though he won the city and his margin of victory basically was staten island he tells Mm -hmm. me all the time how much he loves staten island because Mm -hmm. they put him over the top um but um you know, a lot of people knew that deep down he had a lot of Democratic values in him. So he got a lot of Democrat votes. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. Democrats outnumber Republicans in New York City six to one. Right. So, you know, you need a 80 percent turnout on the Republican side to beat like a 30 percent turnout on mm-hmm. the Dem side. So it, it's hard. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely hard. I mean, like even with uh, that, what's happened with the governor primary. Right. You saw like 
no Republicans even came out to vote because they're all like assuming that Hochul has it in the bag. So why are we even going to bother coming out for a primary? You know, the, the voting turnout was so low. It was, it was like disgusting. Yeah, and the government, once again, the Board of Elections, they want the easiest thing, the lower the turnout, the better it is for the Board of Elections because it's less work for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they screwed everything up here, especially in New York. They have one, the gubernatorial primary in July, the congressional mm -hmm. primaries are in August. Mm -hmm. People don't even know, am I voting? Do I go to the same booth? Then the early voting, you go to one place. Late, on same day voting, you go to another place. So they've created this kind of culture of confusion out there that um, I think you're right. You know, in Staten Island, we have a really strong group of people who are engaged and stuff. And we had a 15 percent turnout. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's just, yeah. you know, I, I get up, you know, I do, you know, I got into the community activism stuff when I was younger. And I'm always fighting for my Staten Island community. I got into it with the Max Public House, you know, opening up during the lockdowns, telling the mayor and and, and the governor to go screw themselves. Um but I started talking to a lot of people in the streets. And, and, and at that time, I said, Johnny, keep doing what you're doing. This, that. What could I do? How could I help? I'll do anything. And it sounds cliche, but I swear to God, it's my line all the time is what you could do for me is promise me one thing. You're going to vote. Mm -hmm. You're going to take your wife or your girlfriend or your daughter and get us two votes that they didn't expect. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Please go vote. And it sounds like bullshit, like, oh, go vote. Um, but no, but you have to vote. <laughs> I figured out. Yeah, I figured out a long time ago that yeah. uh, when I had the when I had the, the, the will and the way to run for office, if I didn't to at least get my views out there, whether mm -hmm. I think I'm going to win or lose, I'm going to throw my hat now. I'm going to fight to the end with any given Sunday attitude. Um, yeah. If I'm not in it to win it, there's no reason to be in it, you know. But I found out a long time ago that you, if if you don't vote and if you don't put all your effort into one of these inalienable rights we've been given, which is to control the the democracy of the republic, um, you kind of forfeit your right to be a cynic. You can't sit back and say, this guy sucks. I would kill that guy. That guy, I want to run against them. You could say all that shit. Mm -hmm. But if you don't vote, if you don't put your balls on the line, if you don't go out there to an extra rally or something, let your voice be heard, then you kind of just got to sit there in the recliner for the rest of your life and be in the bleachers. I don't, I don't want to be in the bleachers. Nah, and I, I feel like that's also too with some Democrats who've been in like long-term positions, like you got, you know, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, all those people. They don't even try when they go for re-election because they, they just know, like, you know, they already know they're gonna get it. It's so funny. But you know, we have had to work their ass off on my show. Wise guys, um, we hit the streets every week. We go out, Kara and I, and we talk to people in the streets and we get mm -hmm. the, the beat of the street. We get the feeling of the people, you know, mm -hmm. and for a gag, we had one of the Newsmax reporters out in California go around Nancy Pelosi's district and ask people who their congressperson was. And she's been there for God knows how long. Right. right? Right. Uh, and I would say 80 percent of the people in her own district didn't know, couldn't name their congressperson. Wow. Right. Wow. And then when the kid, James, James Kluge would say, um, well, did you know you were in Nancy Pelosi's district? I'd say, I am. <laughs> oh, my God, I can't stand her. Um, so <laughs> it, crazy. it just shows the Pavlovian nature of the voter. Um, 
when asked out of nowhere, who's your person? I don't know. Mm-hmm. When they're told, they hate it. Um, but probably a big hunk of those people actually went in on election day and voted for her because that's what they've been doing for the last 20 years. So, you know, voters, are, it's hard to, to change voters' patterns also. That's true. So now how you were talking about Newsmax, how did you transition from financial technology, a little bit of politics, and then into Newsmax hosting a show? How did that all turn out? You know, I got lucky. Um, I got lucky because, um, you know, my part of the market was the short selling part. So many people don't understand short selling, but, you know, in the old, uh, you know, the old logo for the like market is bull, a bull and a bear. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the bull wants the market to go up and the bear wants the market to go down. Um, that's about simpler terms. So, you know, there are a lot of times in the market where a stock is 200 bucks and you're looking at it saying this thing is not worth $50. Like they have no cash flows. Their competition is growing on them. Um, so short selling gives you a way to profit when stocks go down mm-hmm. instead of um, buying them low and selling them high. You sell them high and buy them low. Um and there aren't a lot of people, uh, despite the fact that about 35% of all volume every day is short selling, um, there aren't a lot, a lot of people who short sell. Um, and there aren't a lot of people who are experts in it that want to go on TV and talk about it. So like, uh, you know, 2007, 8, 9, uh, the housing crisis, the markets were crashing, the bank stocks were crashing. Uh, Lehman went out of business, Bear Stearns went out of business, mm-hmm. and um, CNBC called on me at, to come on as a bear and say, well, uh, why is everything going down? And why are you making money when everything's going down? And uh, I started to kind of use my, you know, man, uh, regular guy, regular lingo speak and say, hey, these companies suck. Okay, they have massive risk exposure, that the, the global markets are tumbling, they're over leveraged, they're going to collapse. And I called you know, the collapse of Lehman, I called the collapse of Bear Stearns, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. And all of a sudden, CNBC's calling me, Fox Business is calling, how the hell does this guy know what's happening? <laughs> um, and I was warning people, get out of your Crocs, get out of your Visa. I remember the stock still, I was telling people, the government's coming out saying, it's going to be okay, we're going to stabilize, we're going to give TARP money to this, that. And I was saying, get out. Um, and it started turning out where... Um, you know, because I had a kind of unique spot in the world, the financial companies like me. And then when I started doing Fox Business, a lot of the things that were happening in the economy were directly related to politics and geopolitics. And, you know, I had a long history of understanding politics. I read a lot about history, historical stuff about politicians. And um, I started to be able to translate, well, this is happening in the market because of that policy or that mm-hmm. legislation. And then um, Neil Cavuto saw me and on Fox Business and asked me to come on Fox News. And then I became a regular with Neil Cavuto uh, doing exactly that. Why is the market down 500 points today, JT? Well, Jerome Powell said that he's probably going to raise more than 75 points next quarter. So we're looking at 100 basis point, you know, and a, a lot of times I luckily or maybe through work. I, I was right on the money with my calls. And um, I became a regular on Fox for about 10 years. And then um, in 2005 and in 2016, I met Chris Ruddy, the CEO of Newsmax at their mm-hmm. Christmas party. A mutual friend invited me to go. We started talking um, and he said, hey, you know, why don't you pitch me a show? 
And instead of being a contributor at Fox and this, that, and the other thing, you can come over here. We're building something big. And uh, so I pitched him uh, this show, Liquid Lunch, that right. went on. I, well, I pitched him a show called Table Talk at that time, which was uh, me and Vito Facella going and sitting down for dinner with families and just talking about the, the issues of the day. And then that grew into a Liquid Lunch. And uh, Liquid Lunch, you know, took me from daytime wise guys put me in prime time prime time weekends but you know i'm only one more step away now Rego, from being <laughs> you're, you're right time. there you're right there yeah. that's it but that's the whole progression and i yeah. you know again i took the shot with newsmax to say hey do i want to be the smaller fish in the bigger pond or do i mm -hmm. want to be the bigger fish the in the small pond and hopefully it grows and you know back then newsmax went to 30 million homes uh, today it goes to 80 million homes. So, you know, I, I can't feel like I hit the right note there and I'm, you know, massively loyal to Newsmax. I get, you know, weird offers all the time to do other mm -hmm. things and mm -hmm. OTT and podcasts and all mm -hmm. this stuff. But, mm -hmm. uh, I feel like Newsmax is on the right track and I'm, I'm really, really happy with our show. You know, they give us a lot of latitude to be funny here and there. I try mm -hmm. to be funny. Um, and I got a great cast with Cara Castronova and uh, Lou Gelamino. They're with me every week. And then we bring in all kinds of cool, crazy guests. And, you know, we've had Chaz Palminteri on twice. We've had Bo Deedle on. We've had Curtis Sliwa on. We have, you know, uh, professors in economics. And we have police chiefs. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we, go, we run the gamut from community activists on the street to vac for vaccine mandates to you know, Rudy Giuliani or, or, or Chaz Palmateri. So um, many people come up to me and say, JT, I love, you know, I go with the Goomba style. That's the only thing I got going for me. I go, you know, I wear the pinstripe suits, you know. Uh, and, I know, trust and me. The one thing I know is when I'm on there, I don't use a teleprompter. Nobody writes notes for me. I talk from my head and my heart. And it's been translating to America really big. Last week, we had our biggest ratings ever in history. Um, because I think people are starting to realize, hey, this is like a regular guy, mm -hmm. you know, like you. You're not a trained podcaster, but you're easy to listen to because you're just talking to people. You're not trying to put on some right. kind of show. Right. I feel like the people now are starting to um, appreciate like regular guys with street knowledge and, you know, kind of book knowledge because like, you know, kind of Trump, President Trump kind of laid the land. He was a businessman and then he, uh, he was a businessman and then he became a politician. So he was never a politician before that. So kind of feel like he laid the land for the average man. Well, he's not average, but the average person to, to kind of get into politics or get into TV or whatever. You know what I mean? Without a doubt. And you want to know something? I swear to God, from when I was a little kid, I, you know, played every sport known to man. Um, but I always used to think, you know what, maybe one day I could be president, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, in life, when you have little hiccups and hurdles, like losing your broker's license or, you know, getting divorced or something like that. And you start thinking, well, you know, I mocked up my record. I'm mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that may be an unreasonable dream. Mm -hmm. um, but a guy like Trump gave a lot of people hope that not just to be president, but you could have all these flaws and you could be outspoken and you could say it like it is and you could still become the president of the United States. So I think it was inspiration to people in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so real quick, I know we before I let you go, who do you think should run in the presidential election? Should it be 
Trump or DeSantis? This is the big talk right now. Yeah, I don't think there's big talk about it. I know it's starting to flitter out into the news, but mm-hmm. to me, that's the left wing of this country um, trying to split up conservative voters. So they keep floating that shit out. I haven't seen DeSantis say one thing disrespectful to Trump at all. Um, I haven't seen Trump really shit on DeSantis other than to say, hey, you know, he was in a neck and neck race. He was losing. I endorsed him and he won. So Mm -hmm. um, which is a fact. So I think DeSantis is playing it really smart. He's not acting like president. He's acting like he's running for governor. He doesn't want to piss off Trump. But it's 100% my view, Ragu, that the, the, the left wing in this country is floating all that stuff out there because they want to split up people between Trump and DeSantis right now. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And I think their worst nightmare is Trump DeSantis. Mm. <laughs> well, one of them has to move because apparently, you know, you can't run on the same ticket if you're in the same state. So someone's going to have to do something. That's that's what the that's what the law is. I heard I heard. Yeah, 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 I believe I believe that to be true. But, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't. I, Trump could easily move back to Trump. Right. Town. He can move back to New York. He can move to Alabama. He could go wherever he wants. So, and then he can decide yeah. that. I um, want to see Trump run again. I think you know, until I see some real serious evidence, I wish he would stop banging the "I won the election" drum. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. look, maybe he knows more than us. I don't know. The proof will be in the pudding. But, you know, Ron DeSantis is doing good as a governor. But, you know, he has no real business experience because he was a politician most of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, he's been adopting a lot of Trump style by doing things out of the box and everything else. So, you know, if you're going to sit there and say you'd rather see DeSantis than Trump, then to me, that's pretty yellow bellied because we know what we had in Trump and the proof is in the pudding. Mm. If you want to go with a guy who's like a junior member of the Trump team, um, because he's not as brash, um, then I think you're playing into their cause because to me, um, Trump and any vice president that's clean and capable, I think wins the next election. Wow. True words never been spoken, and uh, you're a, you're a smart guy, so maybe this call will be right. You predicted a no, lot but- of things, so you know. <laughs> All right, so John, where do we find Wise Guys uh, on Instagram? Do we got out Twitter? Where, where do we go? All right, yeah. Um, well, Newsmax shows aren't allowed to have their own social, right? Um, so that you know, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Johnny Tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, you can reach me there, follow me there. I answer every freaking message, believe it or not. Um, Wise Guys is on 10 p.m. Saturdays. The show airs again 3 p.m. on Sundays. Uh, with a lot of people tuning in when you're making your Sunday sauce on <laughs> Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Start, that's right. That, start that pot a little bit and flip on Newsmax at 3 p.m. Um, to see the best of the week. And um, yeah, I mean, I would just say go to Newsmax.com, go to the show page. Um, and you'll see wise guys there. Click on it. And every episode we've done, we've been on over a year and uh, all the episodes are there for your perusing. Amazing. Well, John, thank you for your time. Uh, hopefully we can do this again. And uh, maybe I'll be on wise guys one day. Maybe that would be good. <laughs> be all good. right. Thanks. Thank, John. You so, thank you so much, brother. Appreciate no it.